Yes, we do. We've got the Spirit. How about you? And it kind of goes back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And it gets louder and louder. It becomes a shouting match till the point of cheering for your team is completely lost, right? It's just about yelling back and forth, yelling back and forth. One might say that these people are enthusiastic. The word enthusiastic or enthusiasm literally means a God is in you. This is what the Greeks would say about someone who had some sort of ecstatic experience or was extremely zealous in their behavior, that a God is in them. Now, I'm not sure about that in a sporting event, although I've seen some fans I think are demon-possessed. But I will say that as we look around and we're looking at this study in the book of Corinthians, if you have your Bible, you might want to crack it open here. This Corinthian church was very excited, expressing excitement or enthusiasm, if, if you will, over their newfound faith and their newfound gifting. In fact, because of that, they started to lose track. You see, they found that they thought that they had found their place of significance, their place in the Roman Greek world of wisdom and philosophical thought. And they lined up behind you know, teachers, Christian leaders, whom they thought were the most eloquent, or the most wise, who possessed the most wisdom. In fact, some of them were questioning, did Paul himself possess enough wisdom for them to follow him? The two problems that were manifesting themselves in the church were this. Number one, it had brought about division among the churches, and among the churches, people were saying, well, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas. And there was, there was division, so... They were not one body as Jesus intended. Number two, they made much about human ability, human strength, and wisdom to the point they were starting to degrade the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul has to correct them. So we spent last week, if you hear last week, looking at how what is considered foolish by human wisdom, Christ, and him crucified, was actually... God's wisdom and God's power. Let me read from 1 Corinthians 1. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Greeks, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. God displayed his strength. And what seems to be the Christ being crucified, paying our debt for our sins, and then rising from the dead. And then he demonstrated his power by calling people that were not necessarily considered wise or earth's movers and shakers. In fact, maybe people might call and who God uses, God wants to display his power. But let me say this. Just as indispensable as the person of Jesus Christ is in our salvation. And him dying, rising from the dead. So the person of the Holy Spirit is indispensable to do his work in us. As he is empowering and dwelling the life of the believer, he is the one who reveals Jesus. He is the one who reveals the wisdom of God. And today we're going to look at the importance of his ministry. And what it means to be truly enthusiastic. 
So let me pray for us, and then we'll get into God's Word. We're going to be in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians today, so if you want to put your finger there, we'll get started. And let me pray for us. So Heavenly Father, I am reminded of your Word, where you told through the prophet Zechariah, you told a man named Zerubbabel that you were calling him to rebuild your temple, that it was not going to be by your might, by his might, or by his power, but by your Holy Spirit. And even so, what you want to build in us, your kingdom, we can't come forward by our might, by our will, by our power, experience, skill. It has to be by your Holy Spirit. So take my words today, take your word, the sword of your spirit, and use it to do its surgical work, work in our lives. We pray this, Lord Jesus, in your name, and the way it is. Amen. So here we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10 through 13. But God revealed it to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we, this is what we speak. Not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. You see, it takes the Holy Spirit to reveal the wisdom of God. It takes the Holy Spirit to reveal the wisdom of God. Or, or in other words, it takes God to reveal God. Within the union of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Each person has a role in the life of the believer. It's very distinct. And yet it is very difficult sometimes to discern where the work of one person in the Spirit begins and the other ends. Just a couple of examples. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, it talks about Christ in you, the hope of glory. How is it that Christ is in you? He's in you through his Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Christ is in you. He is dwelling in you and giving you hope for what that glory is. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But Jesus is the Spirit. Yes. Yes, there's a union between the two that's hard to distinguish. They're not the same person. They're both at work. Jesus is, is said in, in John chapter 1, verse 18, that no one has seen the Father except the only begotten. And he has explained him, is what it says. Then in John chapter 14, Philip says, show us the Father and that will be enough. Jesus turns around and says, have I not been with you and you don't recognize me? See, Jesus is so much one with the, with the Father. And so when I see Jesus, I see the Father. In fact, that's what Jesus will say. I and the Father are one. 
This is this is not meaning God puts on different masks. Now I'm the Father. Now I'm the Son. Now I'm the Spirit. No. But there is a union which we don't understand. We don't fully comprehend. But where one person, the Holy Spirit's work ends, the other begins. They are one. In this case, the Holy Spirit is revealing, revealing the deep things of God, which is the wisdom of God. That is the coming of our, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, which was hidden, which verse 7 talks about. So here's the train of thought in the verses we've just read so far, okay? It's, it's talking about it being the wisdom of God has been revealed by the Spirit. The Spirit searches all things. The Spirit searches all things. Even including the very depths of God Himself. That word depths is the word we use as bath. To think of this deep ocean that you can't ever get to the bottom of. Again, this thing that was hidden, how God was going to save mankind, is now being revealed by the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on to say, you know, as no one fully or truly knows what's going on inside of one individual or person, except their own spirit, so no one knows the thoughts of God except God's own Holy Spirit. Here's the implication. The implication is that we cannot know God on our own. We cannot know God on our own. And so to this Corinthian church, who have, by God's grace, by His Spirit, have responded to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They put their faith in Him. They have received the Spirit. But this Spirit is not the Spirit of the world around them, which is dependent upon human ability, strength, and understanding that makes much of man. Rather, God has taken His own Spirit, as He promised in Scripture. In Joel uh, 2.28, He says, I'm going to pour out My Spirit on all flesh. Jesus says, I'm going to send the Spirit of truth in John 14, 16, and 17. And he's going to pour it on us. And the Holy Spirit is not this impersonal, impersonal power like the Force in Star Wars, right? The Force is just this, in that mythology, it's just this thing, that this power, but it has no will, it has no morality to it. There's a dark side, there's a light side. But no. The Holy Spirit is a person. It can be grieved. He can be grieved. He can be resisted. You can even try and lie to Him. It doesn't work because He's God. He knows everything. But He is the one that relates to us personally. And when we continue to resist Him, we continue to do our own thing, He does quench His, his influence. We start to hear Him less and less and less. But the Holy Spirit is the one who helps us understand what God has freely given us. And again, that is the wisdom of God, that is unmerited grace and favor we receive in Jesus Christ with all the benefits that follow, which include the presence of the Holy Spirit that we receive. And here's the thing, again, what, what Paul's trying to, to express to this church is that if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not going to understand. You're not going to understand. We're going to talk about this a little bit later. You don't have what it takes to understand. But here's, here's the concept. And I'm going to tell you all analogies break down. And I was laboring over this. So if it 
If it falls on flat on you, please forgive me. But it's as though God comes, and He is this person that is so much greater and bigger than us, and we're trying to figure out we can't understand what he's saying, we can't understand what he's doing. And so God opens up his heart, reaches in, pulls out part of it, and reaches into us, and grafts part of his heart into us. So we start to understand what he's saying to us. It's like this walkie-talkie that he puts in us, and all of a sudden, it's like, wow, it starts to make sense. It's a whole new reality that God brings to us who's part of us. That is an amazing and mysterious thought. But the Holy Spirit helps us understand what God has freely given us. It is the concept of like comprehends like. Or as theologian Karl Barth has said, God is known through God alone. He has to put the Spirit in us in order that we might start understanding and respond to Him, to His wisdom, to His gospel. And this is why Paul goes on to say in verse 13, this is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, again, not relying on intelligence or anything man has to offer, but words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. That ex- word expressing there in the NIV means communicating or interpreting, interpreting. Again, the Spirit gives us insight and perception that we don't have in ourselves. And folks, I know, if you've been coming here to Berean, I know a lot of you already know this. I'm not sharing with you new information. But I do want to slow you down and stop you here for a second. I do want to slow you down and stop you. To think about this. With awe, think about the privilege that the Spirit of the living God comes to dwell within you. If you put your faith in Christ, that is an amazing, awesome thought. And a little later on, we're getting to chapter 3. He's going to talk about how we are God's temple, where His Holy Spirit dwells. It's not in the building anymore in Jerusalem. It is in the believer. And it gives us perception, power, and perspective we don't have anywhere else. And just a a sampling of what that means. It means he bears witness with our spirit that we are indeed children of God. It is a down payment, if you will, on what God is going to do as as he talks about in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 22. It's guaranteeing what is to come. And then going back to that Colossians passage, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Christ in us, the hope of glory, through His Holy Spirit. That glory is not in this present earth. It is what is going to happen when Jesus returns. What we were saying about when we were singing about the Lion of Judah, when He comes back to reign. We will sing, Hail the Lamb. That is the hope of glory. Well, he will set all things right. There's a glorious future. And I don't need to place all of my eggs in this basket. You know what? The Cubs are going to play in the World Series. 
and it's not going to matter one iota in eternity, whether they win or they, whether they lose. You may be a fan, you may not. It's not going to matter. That's not the glory we're being called to. We're being called to glory that is within the Lord Jesus Christ, where He's going to set everything right. He's going to reign and rule, and we will get to enjoy Him for eternity. But second of all, and here's what's happening. This is kind of more back to the context here. The wisdom of God we're talking about. And the Bible is full of wisdom, how to live. I'm a big fan of the book of Proverbs. A lot of practical wisdom in there, right? But this is specifically when, when push comes to shove, what's going to matter? What's going to determine your eternal destiny? It's about Jesus Christ and what he has done. And we consider ourselves evangelicals. And if you're not sure what that word means, it means we're good newsies. We're people that want to tell people about Jesus, the good news, how he came and he lived a life we couldn't live, how he died to pay a debt we could not pay and rose from the dead to conquer a foe we could not conquer. And that is good news. That is good news because we can't do it in ourselves. But you know what? Sometimes maybe we get tired of hearing our own script. Yeah, I know Jesus came and died and rose from the dead. That, that's good, but that's, that's kind of old hat. Let's, let's move on to what's next. What's next? And here's the problem. We need to let that reality guide us. We need to ha let that reality change our perspective. We need to let that reality grip us. We, as a church, are going through a book in our Life Together groups called Prodigal God. And it is mainly focused on Jesus, uh, his parable about what we call the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. It's about lost things, right? Here's this son who leaves his father, rejects his father, his whole household, takes all his inheritance, and squanders it, right? And it's an illustration of God's rescue mission. Because after he blows it all, rejects his family, he's welcomed back into the family. And so we see how God saves the younger son from his wanton, rebellious ways. We see the grace of the Father there. But so often what we fail to focus in on is the older son, right? Who's upset that the younger son has come back. Who's upset so much that he won't even go in to the house. His father's requesting him. We fail to see that he needs to be saved from his spiritual pride and righteousness. And self-righteousness that is alienating him from the Father. I think God is using that book in our, our midst to do a few things. To remind us all that we all need Jesus. And maybe some of us find ourselves in that role of the older brother. And need to, to repent. But to let that change us. And let the Holy Spirit inform us about how we understand the gospel. How we communicate it to others. And how we even see others. Because every person you need. Jesus. 
whether they seem to have their act together or whether they are a complete mess. Everybody needs Jesus, and we need that gospel to inform us. Okay, we need to keep going here. Number two, without the Holy Spirit, there is no understanding of God's wisdom. Pick it up at verse 14. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Again, for this Corinthian church that was enamored by human wisdom, it is both informing and it is a rebuke to them as they've been sucked into the vortex of the culture around them. This world, again, does not have the ability or the tool to access what God has done particularly in Christ. As verse 14 says, they do not accept these things. They're from the Spirit. They're foolishness, and they cannot understand so number one, we should not be looking to the world to explain God or his word. We should not be looking to the world to explain God or his word. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't study things. I'm not saying we shouldn't engage our minds. I'm not saying that we shouldn't even read things that are contrary to scripture. In fact, all truth is God's truth. But the mind that is not informed by the Holy Spirit will always look to explain away the things of God. Always look to explain away the things of God. They'll look for a natural solution or a human solution. And oftentimes it also makes much about God rather than, I mean, makes much about man rather than the God who made him. Either that or they'll make God into somebody who he is not. We'll make him user friendly. Someone who thinks like us, who values what we value. And we have committed adultery. We start to make God in our own image, rather than letting him reveal himself for who he is as he is in our world. He is the one who has created us. One whom we have rebelled against, who is perfectly holy. And he does need to judge our sin because he is perfectly just. But he also is the God of love, who has provided the only way through his son. And if you're a parent, that should strike you. Because the thought of giving up your child for somebody who may or may not respond to you is a is a very terrifying thought. I would not give up my children, but God does. He gives up His He gives up His Son. He takes upon Himself our judgment in order that we don't have to face that. But it is through faith in Him. It's through faith in Him that we are saved. Number two, it should give us compassion, though. To understand that as we share the good news with people, they aren't always going to be excited about it. They're not always going to respond saying, oh, that's the best. And they might even be hostile towards us. But there's a spiritual reality here that even involves a spiritual enemy. Second Corinthians chapter 4 verses 3 through 4 says, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. As we are sharing the gospel with people, we should be praying that God would open their eyes with his Holy Spirit, that people would respond to that gospel. And here, let me say this. If you are a person that is seeking what it means to follow the living God, and even if you're not, I want to say this to you. 
you need the Holy Spirit to open your eyes in order that you might know Him. I'm not saying you can't comprehend the biblical storyline. I'm not saying you can't even comprehend theological uh, um, concepts. But to know Him, to know your need, it cannot happen on your own. Again, it takes God to know God. And He needs to open up your heart. He needs to open up your spiritual eyes. But here's the awesome thing about our God, the goodness of our God, is that He honors those who are asking and seeking for Him. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You will seek me and find me, and you will seek me with your whole heart. And then Jesus' words, even here, and they're familiar words to many of us, but look how He finishes this, this promise. This is Luke 11, 9-13. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who, the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, of your fathers, of your, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God is a good heavenly Father who will reveal himself and wants to reveal his Son through his Holy Spirit. If that's something you want to respond to, I'm going to be praying for you at the end of this service so you can pray along with me. Last of all, the Spirit gives discernment about spiritual things. The Spirit gives discernment about spiritual things. Pick it up at verse 15. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things. But he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. You, you know what one of the famous... One of Favorite verses for folks to quote these days? It's Luke 6 37. Whether you're a believer or not, people like to quote this. It says, Judge not, lest you be judged. Judge not, lest you be judged. We're afraid that someone's going to look down upon us. And what that verse actually means is, don't be the judge and jury and condemn somebody. That's not your place. That's what Jesus was trying to say. However, how judgment is being used in this, this particular context is one of discernment, evaluating, assessing. You make judgments every day. You go into the store and you decide, you judge, I'm going to buy this product over this product. I'm going to take this way over this way. This is better than this. It's a call for discernment here. And whether we know it or not, most of our decisions are very spiritual decisions. They are, to a greater or lesser degree. And so God is saying, look, I'm giving you discernment through my Holy Spirit. Use it in light of my word, in light of my gospel, my wisdom. So we have to ask the question as we face some things, some things may be inconsequential. Am I going to go buy generic canned beans or, you know, remain brand? 
I don't know, that might be a stewardship issue. But we're going to ask the question, is this decision, if I go with this, is it life-giving? Does it honor God? Does it help me pursue His kingdom? Is it going to draw me closer to Jesus and help me think like Him? I've shared this before, but i become a middle-aged man. It's a tragedy, I know. You know why I know? Because I listen to talk radio. I listen to talk radio. Part of it is my FM doesn't work on my truck, but that's another story. But here's the thing, right? I listen to talk radio, and there are times I have to turn it off. I have to turn it off because it is taking my heart and my mind down the wrong way. And the person on the radio, I may agree with them, but they are demeaning men and women who are created in the image of God, and it does not help me love my neighbor. Sometimes I have to turn it off. I have to make choices. I am being discerning. We make good choices every day. Will I use the judgment? Will I use the discernment the Holy Spirit has given me? And here's the other thing. Second half of, of verse 15 says, But he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. That means the world's valuation is not a true valuation of who we are. Right? At the end of the day, you and I are not going to stand before Supreme Court judges. We're not going to stand before judges who judge the Olympics in, in gymnastics. We're not even going to stand before the judges of Dancing with the Stars. We're going to stand before the holy God that created everything, who is holy, holy, holy. That's who we're going to stand for. And the question he's going to ask us, what did you do with my son? That's the question he's going to ask us. That's the judgment that's going to come. And it's either going to come Life because we have put our faith in what he has provided, or judgment because we have rejected. So what the world thinks about us, we really don't care. It doesn't matter. That's passing away. That is passing away. It is God's valuation of us that matters. And in relation to the world's valuation, Paul quotes Isaiah 40. 13. He says, For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? Who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? Nobody. That's the answer. That's the answer to that rhetorical question. Certainly our world doesn't know. Certainly our world does know it has no ability. But on the other hand, he turns around and says, But we have the mind of Christ that is given by the Holy Spirit. What an amazing thing. So I don't know how you're facing your everyday life. I appreciated what our brother Chris shared. That he's going, look, I feel like I'm getting off base. I need to readjust to that of 
what is the what is the call of the Holy Spirit? I don't know if you've been operating on value based on what this world values. And yes, you are a believer. But maybe what you're operating on is more based in the American dream than that of the kingdom of God. They're two separate things. Two separate things. The Holy Spirit has been given to you if you're in Christ. It should give us a different understanding, different values, a power to live differently. Here's the question. Are we resisting? And in doing so, are we grieving? And in doing so, are we quenching the voice of the Holy Spirit in our lives? We need to listen to Him. And I'm going to tell you that is, that is something that has to be practiced moment by moment. And the more you do it, the more sensitive you become. We can also resist and try to shut it out. And this is what's going on in the lives of these Corinthians. They consider themselves very spiritual. But they were actually shutting out the voice of the Holy Spirit. Are we going to let him have his way? Please. And if you are searching, I just have to tell you, you're in a place, a great place, to call upon a God who is generous. Who says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But you have to, you have to come to terms that you cannot do it yourself. You will need God's Holy Spirit to open your eyes help you put faith in Lord Jesus Christ. Because your flesh can't do it for you. You need the Holy Spirit to do it for you. But here's the thing. God says that he poses a cloud and he gives grace to God. You're in a place to receive his grace. I started out jokingly saying, We've got the Spirit. Yes, we do. We've got the Spirit. I want to ask, how about you? Can you pray for us and worship team to come on up and pray to close us? Indeed, Lord, we are in the deep end of understanding the mystery of how you work in us, Holy Spirit. And we confess that much of it is a mystery, and yet it is a reality. For you to open our eyes. You are indeed Christ in us, the hope of glory. And Spirit, if we have indeed resisted you, if we have indeed grieved you, we would be quenched your voice in our lives or the lives of others. We ask that you forgive us. Give us new sensitivity to you. That you would illumine your word. That you would give us ears as we hear each other, as we spur each other on to love and good deeds. The voice of the Holy Spirit, one calling out to the other. And just that we might even perceive how you want to speak to us in ways that we 
don't fully comprehend or understand. But you are indeed Holy Spirit Christ in us now. And for that person who is, is seeking you, I just ask you to pray with me. Living God, I pray that you would reveal yourself to me. Open up my eyes to your Holy Spirit. Let me know the truth of who your Son is and what he has done for me. Jesus, come into my life and change me. Make me your own. By the power of your risen life, Jesus, come. And make me your Save me. Make me a child of God. That your Holy Spirit might come and dwell with me. Lord, we commit these things to you and ask you to do your work in us. Indeed, we are your workmanship created for good works. In Christ Jesus prepared before the foundation of the earth. And we trust in that promise. We trust in that. We trust in you. So Jesus, we pray this in your name.